This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 53 of Retired Race Horse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Products. Retired Race Horse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the Retired Race Horse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Race Horse Project and New Vocations Race Horse Adoption Program. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. We start with part one of a mini-series with Olympic gold medalist Tad Coffin on why he believes retired racers are gold standard. HRN auditor Alex Sherman joins us to tell us about her first run as a professional jockey. Chelsea Burris from Friends of Ferdinand gives us a scoop on their initiative, the Broodmare Bunch. And we introduce our first RRP Spotlight writer. And of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Retired Racehorse Radio without Leandra bringing us our Adaptable Horse of the Week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. This is Joy Hills in Detroit, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Man, are you guys getting some nice weather up in Detroit? Yeah, I saw you were back on your pony. Oh, it's so nice, Jamie. We went from snow on April Fool's Day, and it's now almost 80 degrees, and I'm just a happy, happy gal. <laughs> does it to, like does Detroit just get happier when it's nicer weather? I mean, it, seems it like does. It does. And um, for anyone who's familiar with Bell's Brewery, it's also Oberon season. And so everyone's out drinking their Oberon beer and we're like, all right, it's spring season. Detroit Tigers had opening day. It's, it's just a lot of good things happening right now. And that just means summer's coming. And yes, I did get on my horse um, for the first time in a new bar and I gave her some time to adjust. Plus it's been cold and wet. And um, the first ride, Jamie, I'll tell you... Um, I, I really need to give my horse more carrots. It was very chaotic that day. Was she a good girl? Uh, she was phenomenal. I was anticipating, you know, several meltdowns. My horse isn't the most confident gal in the bunch. Uh, she tends to, to spook at any weird sound. She's really not dealing with chickens well. They're new to her and there's <laughs> chickens on this farm. She's like she hears them cluck and it's like full on draft deer in headlights. Like, what was that? Um, but yeah, today, or not today, but this ride, I got there and the first thing I hear neighbors shooting guns, I was like, okay, we're okay. in the country. That makes sense. Um, and then my barn manager's husband is splitting logs. So he's driving this giant tractor back and forth to split the logs. I was like, okay. Um, my barn manager took her horses out because it was the first spring day. And so all the horses in the front paddocks are whinnying and running around because their herd mates been separated. I was like, okay. <laughs> Cats are literally falling out of the hayloft because they are now playing and running around. It's like, great. This is all great. My horse is just there. Like, what are we doing today? I was like, Aww. huh. You know what? It was joy. There was probably too much <laughs> to spook at. So she's like, it's just, I'm oversaturated. I'm just going to be good. I just, Maybe, maybe else. it's just a, the, you know, the hangover of 2020, maybe she's also feeling like, you know, the whole world was on fire and we made it through that. So 
and it's springtime and it's starting to get warmer and everything's going to be great. And we yeah. should all feel like that because yes, it's that time of year um, in between having to blanket and having fly masks with that magical brief time of year before there's flies. So I know some of you are like, Mary have flies. Yeah. Well, we're sorry. not talking about them. <laughs> we're not talking about you. I'm talking about me and it's nice for me. And in this probably up in Detroit as well, like it's that, non-blanket, non-buggy time. It's like, like the perfect yeah. time of year. Um, solid we, two weeks of perfection. Yes, <laughs> at least. Maybe four days, but I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> we do have a really busy show, so we want to get right to it for you because we have some amazing and awesome guests coming on. But first, let's hear from our sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissue. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to welcome to this show, Tad Coffin. He's an American saddle maker. And of course, he won two gold medals in the Olympics, riding Ballycore, a thoroughbred, and uh, is currently coming to us from his country home, which we've been listening to ducks and dogs and chickens and all sorts of things. <laughs> and just outside of Charlottesville, welcome to the show, Tad. Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you. I am obviously a big fan, um, and I know we have a lot of talking points because this is going to be an actual mini-series um, coming here on Retired Racehorse Radio. But one thing on the list of things that was not to talk to you about initially was I want to talk about Ballycore and the amazing thoroughbred mare that you rode in the Olympics and got the gold medal on. Well, they say there's nothing better than a thoroughbred mare, and she epitomized that exact saying, you know, she was, uh, she was modest in her attributes and her, um, I would say in her talents, but she did just enough to get the job done and she's totally in the game. And that's what makes a thoroughbred and a thoroughbred mayor in particular, very special. Now, I, what I kept reading in places that when she was like short strided, she didn't have a lot of flash and dressage, but they said on the U.S. eventing web webpage that if the going on cross country was trappy, she was perfect. What does that mean exactly? Well, she was she was favored more on a course that required sort of tight turns and nimbleness and and quickness rather than the kind of course that you might find at Burley or Badminton in England, which are just big galloping 
courses that favor the, uh, you know, the, the big stride and big horses. So that luckily that the, the uh, cross country course in Montreal was just perfectly suited for. She would do really well today in all the short formats and probably as well, but she did she go on to, uh, to an, a second career or, you know, a third career as a racehorse mate. I don't think she ever raced. I think she was bred to be an event horse, but she went on to be a, a mare and, and, and was a, a very successful mom. She was, and she had a couple of very nice foals. None of them ended up competing at the international level, sadly, uh, but there was one very good, uh, show hunter mayor and another horse that that I think David O'Connor and and Karen O'Connor had unfortunately had a, a broke down at, at some point in training and competing so never went the, the distance but she had nice foals for sure wow I mean yeah she and she did she did her job for sure with you now what are your thoughts on retired racehorses uh, in general, I mean, I know you took one to the Olympics and won, um, but what are your thoughts on kind of other people and getting involved in having off-the-track thoroughbreds become sport horses? Well, I think that one of the first things I'd like to do is applaud the efforts of all of the rehoming stables and, and, and enterprises that are really trying to find second homes for these great thoroughbreds. Because I think that, the, you know, the, 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 the retired racehorse and the the thoroughbred in general is one of the most extraordinary sport horses in the world. And I think that we're missing in this country, we're missing a big opportunity with these horses because we've gotten to the warm blood fad and these horses are not recognized for their potential in the sport horse arena. So if you, if you, if you think about this, you know, Jack Legoff, my Olympic coach, Burton Emothy, most successful show jumping course and uh, show jumping coach and the history of, of, of the sport coaching the Americans, they came from Europe. And when they were in Europe, they were, they were working with warm bloods, you know, French horses and German horses and so forth. They come to the United States, they're working with thoroughbreds and under their tutelage, we win three of the four Olympic gold medals that have been won in this country on the thoroughbred. So that's a pretty interesting statistic. So if we, we, the collective memory in the horse industry is not particularly long. We need to go back and look at that and think about what we're, what we're missing. So, you know, they came from Europe, worked with American thoroughbreds, won all these awards and accolades. And then, you know, we're, we're going to Europe and bringing the horses back and we haven't won anything really since. So that's an interesting statistic. That is interesting. I didn't ever think about that. So what, what are some of the skills that you think are important to have as somebody who like, I train a lot of off the track thoroughbreds, as you know, and, um, what are some of the skills that most people need to have to be able to get along with these off the track thoroughbreds? What are some, some tips? Well, I've, I've got quite a few, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do a, a, a series, because I think that, you know, I was a, I was a beneficiary of an extraordinary riding education. And the, 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 the mentors that I have, Monty Roberts, Raul DeLeon was my coach as a young rider, Burton Emothy, Jack Liddell, all of these gentlemen gave long and, and detailed theory sessions on a regular basis. And I was a beneficiary of those sessions. And, you know, you can watch if you, if you're a Monty Roberts fan, I mean, how much time does he spend in the classroom 
talking talking theory. We have to have a format in which we can discuss the nuances and the intricacies that um, that w- that we need to in order to succeed with these wonderful horses because it's a big subject and it's you know it requires it requires a little bit more of an involved discussion and these horses didn't quite frankly deserve it so that's my that's my interest in wanting to to do a a, a series but I think that as far as skills for the retired racehorses I think that there are a couple of things that. We, we really need to think about. One is I think we really need to understand the thoroughbred. You know, if, if you're a young professional and you've, and you've grown up dealing with warm bloods, you've got to reset your mind and your strategies for the thoroughbred, which perfectly capable of doing. But, but it starts with an understanding of the basic nature and the character of these horses. They're extraordinarily intelligent. They're very generous. They already have a work ethic. They don't need to be. Uh, they don't need to be ridden with a lot of strength. They need a. Uh, they need a very understanding, a quiet, a balanced ride, and a very. Um, I would say a, a, a very organized, disciplined approach. So when I break it down a little a little bit further, the thing that I would say about dealing with with thoroughbreds in particular, and you know this very well from from your work, is that it's everything with these horses is relational. Right. Mm-hmm. You, it, it, it's about forming a relationship. And the first part of understanding what that relationship is, is understanding that your number one influence is your presence. And by that, I don't mean Christmas presence. It's your it's your it's your your being. Right. And mm-hmm. that's going to have more influence than anything else. So if we break that, break that down, you know, what is that? What is that presence? You know, it's starts with your focus, your attentiveness, your situational awareness, if you will, your alertness, your concentration. You know, without without those things, you're you're a distracted individual and you 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 can't relate to the horse. And the thing you have to remember is that horses are always watching you. So if if you're not watching them and paying attention to them, best believe they're paying attention to you and to everything about you they're paying attention to your your as i said your focus your uh, attentiveness they're paying attention to your posture you know think about what what a what a great lesson we have from monty roberts in terms of how disciplined his posture is when he's working with horses in the in the round pen every move every whether his hand is open hand is closed his body is oriented this way he's looking looking at the horse or he's looking down um, off to the side, all of that, the horses are reading. So, and that's, also that's your, your, your own personal adrenaline level, you know, how, how much internal energy or relaxation do you carry in your own body too? I would think absolutely your emotional state, your inner calm, your confidence, I would say your intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. That that's horses, horses read your intentions. They read the way you, not only what, how you, what moves you make, but how you move, you know, whether you're, whether you're a quick mover, whether you're a, you know, more elastic and more uh, graceful, Mm -hmm. slow mover. And all of these things are skills that can be honed and developed. Talk to Monty Roberts. He's been working on this for, I don't know, ever 70 years, right. (laughs) You know, and, 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 you know, if you talk to him now, having worked with his 
with his little dear Benny, he's learning more by his own admission. He's learning more. He's dialing all of those faculties into a higher level than he's had them before because he recognizes the sensitivity of that particular animal. Well, you know, horses are dialed down from deer, thank goodness, otherwise we wouldn't be able to do anything with them. But it's it's that kind of lifelong study. All of my mentors, Raul de Leon, Jack Legault, Burton, everything, Monty Roberts, they're all behavioral scientists. You know, they're mm-hmm. all students of horses. They're always watching, paying attention. And from that, you know, look, look what Bert and Emothy created. He created this whole system of gymnastic jumping from his observations of, of what horses were telling him about their ability and their need to be developed as, as, as athletes. Jack Legoff creates the whole interval training system, which had never been done before. So observation and presence is, is key to this whole thing. And it's heightened with a thoroughbred. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we have to recognize is that, you know, we're, we're a distracted, we're a distracted group of people at the moment. You know, you, you go to any barn and, you know, you just got to get out of your cell phone. You got to turn <laughs> the thing off and put it away so that you can be paying attention to your horse. If, you're, if your head is down in your phone, you're not watching what's going on. You're not learning from the horse. You're not developing uh, a, a sense of his language. Think of it this way. Horses are mirrors, right? And so they're reflecting back on, they're reflecting back on you. So if you want to have a different result, you have to, you have to adjust and constantly hone how you move, what you're paying attention to, where you're looking, all that sort of thing. So the, the first thing is to, to get rid of the, get rid of the phone, you know, and, and by the way, phones really need to be set on either blue light filter or on night shift, 23 hours and 59 minutes of the day, because blue light is uh, emitting a, you know, blue light is a frequency, you know, an electromagnetic frequency that horses find disturbing. And mm-hmm. when, and, and, and it's present in cell phones and it's present in eye watches. And you have to think about, you know, the, the horse, the, the, the thoroughbred horse is raised in this, you know, these beautiful open fields in Kentucky and New York. And then, you know, then they come into this, extraordinary environment of the racetrack and then after the racetrack to you know to to stables where everybody's got all of this electronics they're not used to that they haven't evolved to accommodate that and it's disruptive and we don't we're not even aware of it so get rid of the eye watch turn it off put it on put it on uh, airplane mode put your cell phone away put it on blue light filter or night shift and and give these horses your undivided attention. Now, and then I, the partnering can begin. I love that. I am one who has your Theratry, which we are going to discuss mm-hmm. in another episode. And one of the oh. things when I received the Theratry was to put that blue light, uh, that put, put your phone on night shift. It's very easy to do. You can Google how to do it, you know, and put your phone on night shift. I don't notice a difference, but I'll tell you what, I go to sleep a lot easier and uh, I really think go. it is attributed. And and 
I, I received the, had the nicest compliment ever, which I brought a mare in for training and she had never been in a stall, but it's, it's big girl time. So you got to be in a stall while we're working. And she was throwing herself against the walls. She was so unhappy. Well, I'd worked with her one day, got a surf single on her day two. I was like, at my own peril, I'm going to put the theratry on you in the stall and you're going to wear it because this thing is amazing. Tad in 20 minutes, she was asleep. It was the most yeah. incredible thing ever. And I see And so the, the nicest compliment ever was somebody came over. One of the clients came over and he goes, he asked my husband, he goes, are all her horses sedated? And I was like, Hmm. That's the nicest compliment ever because everybody is nice and calm and happy. And I do attribute it a lot of it to not having the blue light to my phone on night shift. It makes sense. We're going to delve into that a lot more the next time we have you on as well. Um, but Tad, this is going to be an exciting series. Thank you for all of the amazing information you've given us to think about today. And it is, it's just be present. These horses, especially thoroughbreds are so sensitive. How many people have you heard? I'm talking to the listeners that are like, Oh, I don't like thoroughbreds. They're crazy. That's because they don't know how to communicate with them. And it's, it's being sensitive and being present and being in the moment, just like Tad, uh, you were just saying. So thank you for saying all of that. I look forward to our multiple conversations that we're going to have on how to be, uh, be with your horse even more next time. So Tad Coffin, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of that. And we will talk to you again next retired racehorse. Very welcome. Thank you. Well, it's so great to welcome back Kristen Kovach-Bentley. She's the social media and communications manager at the Retired Racehorse Project. And she's bringing on some information about our Off-Track Thoroughbred Magazine. If you guys aren't familiar with it, you need to be. It's great info. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Happy to be here. Of course. So you guys are about to launch the Off-Track Thoroughbred Magazine Spring Edition. What should we be looking forward to in this magazine? Oh, this, okay. I'm a little biased, but I do think this might be one of our best issues yet. So um, every issue of Off-Track Thoroughbred Magazine is just packed with information for Off-Track Thoroughbred owners and trainers. Um, and this issue, I think, is like the perfect launch to your spring season, you know, to get your summer started off right. So um, we've got all sorts of really cool features in this issue. Um, one I think you'll probably appreciate yourself is called Unbiased. Um, it's about trainers explaining why they might not overlook um, good off-track thoroughbred prospect just because it's a mare. Because, you know, as we know, the mares maybe have an unfair reputation for being more challenging. I know you have a mare, Joy. Mm -hmm. So so you would love that article. Um, we've got some tips and tricks for making your retired racehorse's first horse show a positive experience. That can be a big hurdle for a lot of folks as they transition horses over. Um, we've got a great feature with Martine Duzant about the art of the free jump, how you can use a jump shoot to give your off-track thoroughbred a positive introduction to jumping. That's a really popular way for people to sort of assess their thoroughbred's talent over fences before they actually get on and jump. Um, we've got a feature on choosing the right bit and bridle to fit your off-track thoroughbred for those initial rides. Oh, that's great. That's great info right there. I know so many people struggle with how much bit, how soft. You know, when do you need to go up without being too hard? So that's going to be great info. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the number of times, like, you know, you scroll through social media and just see people asking the internet at large, you know, and, and we've gone and asked the experts for you. So you don't need to go and ask the internet. <laughs> uh, and then we've got some regular columns that come up in, in every issue. So Racehorse Life, um, that gives our readers a little more insight into what the thoroughbred's life is like on the track. Um, so this issue, um, we've spoken to some folks at the sales agencies on how to groom like a sales groom, because if you've ever watched the auctions, you know, those horses go through spotless. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys have shared some of their secrets so that you can hit the show right ring. With, uh, with a million dollars. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you yeah. will be the best groomed out there for going into the, the show ring this year um, with these tips and tricks. We've got, um, let's see, how to make and stock your equine first aid kit, which unfortunately I think we all need. Definitely do. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then uh, we've got a regular column with Tick Maynard on um, his training tips. So mm-hmm. in this issue, that. he's going through four different lists that he relies on when uh, getting to know a new horse. And then every issue's also got some of our recurring features, such as OTTBs in sport, where we feature, you know, some horses at the upper levels in their respective disciplines. Um, and then we've got our, our RP news section and aftercare news um, and a couple other bonuses in there. So it is a jam-packed issue, tons of really good information out there for for people, um, really for all disciplines and all breeds. It doesn't necessarily have to be just thoroughbred people because everybody wants a horse that looks good and everybody wants their horses for sure show to be a good experience. So, so lots of great stuff. There's information for everyone in there. And what I love most about off track thoroughbred magazine, it's really focused on the after the track of the horse. You know, you can find a lot of racing magazines that talks about, you know, their career on there, but this is really the only magazine that's kind of meeting all of our audience here of, what do you do with the off the track thoroughbred, all the different disciplines they can be involved in and how do you bring them along? And I think it's great that you guys have partnered uh, to put this together. So um, I also love you can get it in print or digital if you're an eco-friendly person. That means a lot to me personally. So I love that you guys offer both options. Yeah. Yeah. If you read on the go, for sure, you can get this on any device. Uh, Digital subscription also, any subscription will give you instant access to all past issues digitally. So whether you have a print subscription or just the digital, you do get digital access to everything. Um, So if you really want to build your library of resources, this is a great way to get a ton of information um, for a pretty low rate. It's only $20 for a digital subscription um, and it's $30 for a print subscription in the US and $36 in Canada. Um, We have four issues that come out a year. So lots of really great information out there. Um, if you're interested, definitely just hop over to the rrp.org slash join and you'll find all the subscription information there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Krista, for joining us again. Make sure you guys get a copy of the spring edition. I know I will be, and uh, hopefully we'll be stealing some interviews out of there for you guys too. So lots of good info, guys. It's going to be great. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, if you have a goal to live your dreams and you you have a dream and you want to make it come true, we've got somebody on who's a perfect example of that. And that is Alex Sherman, who went from, as Joy put, a desk jockey to a professional racing jockey. Alex, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Great. Now, we did detail pretty heavily your journey on Horses in the Morning, and um, you have been, tell us everybody how long you've been an exercise rider at the racetrack. So, I think I got my exercise license in 2017, so I guess that was officially when I started um, with our own horses, but then I kind of made the full-time leap about two years ago to do it like as my full-time job. What made you want to do it? Um, well, I 
I'm little, so everybody had always said, you know, you should be a jockey, you should be a jockey. Um, we eventually, my husband and I got into the, the race horses um, quite a few years ago. And, you know, I, I always, you know, kind of wanted to ride and, you know, but kind of life had different, you know, different paths involved. But eventually I, I was kind of tired of seeing everybody else kind of live in the dream. So, um, you know, I was at a nine to five desk job and I hated my life and kind of took the leap and said, you know what, you know, you only live once. So if I'm ever going to take the chance and try to do something, then now is the time. And I don't want to ever, you know, regret not doing something if I have the choice. Yes. Now I would like to point out that I am also short. Um, and in, <laughs> just because you're little, doesn't mean you should be a jockey because like lots of people are little. So like what skills did you have kind of taking into it? Was, what is that? Was it like a g- dream of yours as a child that you just revisited? So it actually, I kind of did a full circle. So um, I, you know, I always loved horses, like as long as I can remember, you know, I had the Briars, I had the Grand Champions, you know, um, but it wasn't until I was about 13 that my parents really could afford to get me riding lessons. And I was kind of, I guess, looking back, lucky enough that uh, a few miles from our house, there was an ex-race tracker that gave riding lessons and trail rides. And, you know, it wasn't a fancy show barn or anything. And um, funny enough, you know, a lot of people, especially girls, kind of show up and find out he's a racetracker and, you know, talk about going to the racetrack. And he actually was, didn't really heavily promote it to majority of people, you know, because, you know, the racetrack is, it can be a good place, but, you know, you you can get seriously hurt there if you don't know what you're doing. And um, so he kind of always, pushed people away from, you know, that kind of life and career path. And, uh, but uh, I kind of give credit to him because he, he really focused on defensive riding. Um, you know, we didn't have, you know, well-broke show ponies, you know, we had backyard green ponies that, you know, we'd have 10 horses in an arena and everybody's running around like crazy, but, you know, you, you kind of learn some defensive skills there. So, um, I really credit him to that beginning. And then, you know, eventually as I, you know, progressed, um, you know, it, it, he started seeing, you know, that I had a, a little bit of, you know, talent or, you know, ambition. And, uh, you know, he started kind of fostering that. So I had some idea as far as how to gallop a thoroughbred in the sense of, you know, taking a cross or, you know, you can't grab a hold of them because the more you grab a hold of them, the more they grab a hold of you and turn into a freight train. So it, it, it being little, you know, it has, it has its advantages because of weight. But, you know, you really got to, you got to have strength, you know, they're this, you know, thousand pound animal. And the biggest leap that I had to make from, you know, eventing and dressage and, you know, jumpers and everything like that was, you know, when you get on the racetrack and you're, you know, going 30, 40 miles an hour, you really, you have some control, at least you think you do. But at the end of the day, you got to kind of you know, take a step back and realize, you know, I, I really don't have a whole lot of control and kind of just get comfortable with that and, and change that mindset of, you know, nitpicking the dressage test to, you know, we're just going to, you know, have a plan and go for it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You're going to tell me, Alex, that when you're standing on your tippy toes on the absolute top part of the horse and you're going 35 to 40 miles an hour, you don't have total control. That is so weird. <laughs> 
Yeah, not not so much. <laughs> uh-uh. No, I don't know how anybody does it. So you decided to make the leap from the desk, behind the desk, and then to on the track as an exercise rider and then a full-time exercise rider. And now you're a jockey and you just had your first races. So are we still loving being a jockey after that? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's actually kind of strained at the moment because um, my last, race was the second to last night of turquoise meet uh the saturday the 27th they had the big stakes night and that was the last night so i'm in a lull right at the moment because turquoise ended and we move over to belterra where i'll be for the summer um next the end of next week and they don't start running until uh the end of april so uh, i think it's derby weekend is when they they start running so I'm in a little bit of a lull and part of me is like, did that really happen? You know, that was like a week and a half ago. Um, you know, am I, am I really a jockey? I don't know. But, um, you know, once we get to the new track and it kicks up again, I think it'll, you know, start ramping up. So I'm excited to try to get some more mounts and, you know, see if I can, can do something more. If you guys want the play-by-play of Alexa talking about her first races and then coming on after she had ridden, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and just in the search engine up there, put Alex Sherman. Um, but this is a woman who is just living her dream and she's living her dream in the thoroughbred world, which we all just love. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. And, and for people that want to follow your career, um, where can they find you? So I'm most active on my Facebook page, which is just Alex Sherman. Um, yeah, obviously there'll be a horse in my profile picture. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's public. And for the most part, yeah, anybody that, if you have a horse in your profile picture, I'll accept your friend request or you can just follow as well. So I love it. Alex Sherman, thank you so much. You're my, still my personal hero and my girl crush. So <laughs> love you, mean it. And we'll talk to you again soon. So many of you Thoroughbred fans out there are very familiar with Friends of Ferdinand. It's an amazing organization, and we're so excited to have their marketing coordinator with us, Chelsea Burris, who's going to talk to us about their new initiative, the Broodmare Bunch. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Thank you so much, Joy. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So before we dive into all the fun, because uh, first off, like the Broodmare Bunch, what a great name. Um, I'm really excited <laughs> Thank to dive you. into that. I'd love to learn a little bit about yourself. You know, where are you located and what do you do for Friends of Ferdinand? Like a little bit of a snippet of a day in your life. Sure. So I'm originally from Indiana, which is where Friends of Ferdinand is based out of. Um, and I grew up as a horse crazy kid that didn't have a horse. So spent a lot of time, you know, watching horse movies, watching horse racing. And that's kind of where I really fell in love with horses. Um, Barbara was a big horse for me that really made me be like, wow, horse racing is, you know, really awesome. And I want to be involved in this and work in it when I get older. Um, and then I found Friends of Ferdinand a few years after that and started volunteering with them, doing some social media and marketing things. And that's been probably eight years ago now. And I've been off and on working with them over the years. Um to the point that I am these days where I really help out a lot with things on their website, um, posting all the horses that are for sale, running the social media channels, and kind of doing any and all marketing activities that the group does. And I myself, uh, I don't have a horse right now. I l- have been lucky enough to have a horse in the meantime. I did have an off-track thoroughbred for a while, and I've had a couple other horses. But um, currently, I live in Lexington, oh, which is the horse capital. <laughs> 
So I get my horse fixed for sure. Um, my day job is actually for the United States Dressage Federation, which is based at the horse park. So definitely get my horse fixed at work. And then um, I lease a pony in my free time. So get my horse fixed that way and then do all my volunteering with Friends of Ferdinand. Oh, so fun. Like, honestly, you're living every crazy horse chick dream. Like, especially <laughs> me. I'm like, can I also do what you do? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And for those who don't know about Friends of Ferdinand, can you tell us a little bit about what the mission is and what you guys do? Of course. So uh, Friends of Ferdinand is a nonprofit organization, and we're dedicated to retraining and rehoming X-Race horses. Uh, We are based in Indiana, but we actually have a facility that's in Ohio as well, where a lot of our horses that are being retrained English go. So that's where our trainer is that focuses on dressage and jumping and everything like that. Um, And we adopt horses out all over. Um, You don't have to be from Indiana or Ohio to adopt one of our horses, but we do require test rides. So you need to either be close enough or willing to come out and hop on the horses and see, you know, what match works best for you. Um, So our mission, our tagline used to be, and I really like this, was retired from racing, not from life. And we don't use that as much anymore, but that still is kind of the basis of everything we do. Um, you know, that these horses, a lot of them are coming off the racetrack as maybe four or five year olds or six or seven year olds, and they still have so much life left in them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just takes a little bit of time and training to get them ready for a new career. And then they can have a really long and happy second career doing all kinds of different sports or as therapy horses. Our horses have had a ton of success in a lot of different disciplines. Oh, I love hearing that. And that's what our whole show is about is promoting that diversity and the promotion of the adoption of the retired racehorse. So thank you guys for all that you do. Um, it's just kind of been the episode. We had a Caribbean thoroughbred aftercare on as well today. And it's nice. Oh, hearing, yeah. Yeah. It's nice hearing all this amazing... It's hard work, but we appreciate and applaud each and every one of you who do it every day. It's um, so cool that you just worked with them. Um, we actually just earlier this year brought two horses home from their program. We partner with them sometimes. Yeah. And uh, we have two new horses that'll be joining our roster of adoptables pretty soon. Their names are Enough Said and Hainsfield Best. And oh. they came from uh, Caribbean Thoroughbred Aftercare. Yeah. They just flew in. It's been, I don't know, just a few weeks ago uh, that they joined amazing. our program. So, yeah, it's a small world that you were small just talking world. to them. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Um, so, you guys are also doing a new pilot program, the Broodmere. Punch. Like, tell us a little bit about that. So we are super excited about this program. Um, it kind of all came to pass. The idea for this kind of came from we have a mare in our program right now who's available for adoption. Her name is Soy Sauce, and she actually is a little bit older than some of our horses that are in our barn right now. Um, she's, I believe, twelve this year. She may have just turned thirteen. Um, and she, when she retired from the racetrack, went to be a mom for a few years mm-hmm. and had a couple foals and didn't really, you know. The mom life wasn't really for her. And so there she was as like a 10-year-old. And it's like, well, what are we going to do with this mare now? Mm. And we had some connections to her. And so she wound up joining our program and has been in our barn for a little while getting retrained. And uh, she's under Western Tack right now and doing really well. And it kind of hatched this idea of like, well, what happens to broodmares at the end of their career? What if they've had a few foals and either it's not for them or maybe they're having some medical complications with foaling and you know they need to be retired from the broodmare life there's really not any programs that focus on that so we've decided to launch this new pilot program and you know try to help some broodmares and see how things go this first year and then hopefully if everything goes good this year we can expand it and uh, bring even more mares into our program the following year 
Oh, that's so thoughtful. And you know, that is a question no one's been asking, like what happens with the broodmares or even, you know, when they hit a little bit of an older age and they don't breed anymore, Mm -hmm. what happens? And I think it's so amazing. And the marketing you guys have been doing for is adorable. Like I thank you so much. (laughs) Gosh, like I I feel like I'm going to like this really sophisticated brunch club with (laughs) yes. Well, I have to give a shout out to Annie at Home Stretch Consulting. Um, She's actually one of our adopters, and she volunteers with us. She decided to help us out this year with this whole project, um, which is really cool. So we've been on many a Zoom call with her over the last few months, getting everything ready. Um, So she's been super great to help us with launching this program. Oh, awesome. We applaud her as well. So we're excited to see where it's going to go. And to start with the program, how many broodmares will be coming into the pilot to begin? So this first year, um, we're going to try to keep things fairly small. We're probably going to bring in about four to five broodmares here at the very beginning and see how things go with that. Because we know there will probably be some different challenges with them compared to our regular horses. Um, there should be definitely some pros and cons. But we kind of want to see how things go with our first class, as you might say, of broodmares and see how things go so that we can better figure out, are our current trainers a good fit for them? Should we maybe bring a new trainer on that just specializes in the broodmares? Um, So this first group is going to be pretty small and exclusive, but we definitely hope to expand next year. Absolutely. And I imagine the training is going to be a little different for broodmares coming in than a horse that comes right off the track. Do you have any idea of what that like if they need a certain amount of downtime or rehabbing or? Well, we're really interested to see that. Um, I think a lot of it's going to depend on what farm the broodmare comes from because some farms, you know, the mares are on a very strict schedule of they come in and out every day, they're groomed every day, feet picked and everything like that, where they're really used to being handled. And other broodmares go to farms where, you know, they're essentially turned out in a field for half the year and not really handled. So we know that those that aren't as used to people might take a little bit of time just getting them used to being around people again. And, you know, some of them that have been off the track for maybe eight or nine years probably haven't had a saddle on them in that many years. So we we anticipate it might take a little more time just getting them used to everything again. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're very excited to tackle that challenge. And we have some really great trainers. Um, we have great Western and English trainers on our team. So we, we think that they're up for the challenge for sure. Absolutely. Oh, that's so exciting. And it, it, I think people do forget to like, unless you've had a baby, I'm not one of those people can say it. So I'm definitely speaking like tongue in cheek here. But if you've had a baby... You can't just like spring into everything right away. From everyone I've talked to, there's like this little this little down period where you kind of have to regain strength, relearn how to move, kind of go back through it. Exactly. The same as for a horse too. Yeah. You popped out maybe three or four babies. Uh-huh. Definitely. And you know, in some ways they're kind of used to doing their own thing. They're used to being moms. And, you know, so the first time we put a saddle on one of them, she may be like, hey, wait a minute. I kind of remember this, but it's been a long time. I've been busy being a mom since then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's and it's amazing you guys are doing this program. I don't know of anyone else who's doing something similar. Um, there, there might be out there and we just don't know. But I think it's really going to set a new stage and open kind of this new area for broodmares who... It might not have really been their thing. They may might have wanted to be riding horses and just needed someone to give them a chance. So that's amazing. How can people get involved in supporting Broodmare Bunch or anything else at Friends of Ferdinand? So if they want to get involved, I would say one thing they can do is follow us on social media. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Um, 
I can give you all of our handles. Um, so on Facebook, we're OTTBs with Friends of Ferdinand is our handle. On Twitter, we are TBX Racers. And then on Instagram, we are Friends of Ferdinand Inc. So people can follow us on there to keep tabs on the broodmares that are going to come into our program initially. You know, if they want to apply, put in an adoption application for any of them, they'll be able to get information through our social media websites. And then if they want to get involved and actually, you know, make a donation to help these ladies, they can go to our website, which is friendsofferdinand.com. And up in the top tab, there's a button for support FFI. And they can make a secure donation right there through our donor box. And uh, you, they can do one-time or monthly donations. And the money will go straight to the broodmares to help them um, as we get them into our program and start their retraining. Uh, I love it, Chelsea. And something I didn't think to touch on, for those who wanted to adopt an off-the-track thoroughbred, but maybe were intimidated by bringing on a young horse, this could be the right route for you. It's a horse that's a little older, a little more mature, and it's going to get some great training and a good foundation. So this could Absolutely. be a great opportunity for someone who doesn't want to necessarily get the four or five-year-old off the track. They want a horse that's maybe a little bit older, a little bit yeah. more settled. So. That was another thing we actually had in mind when we decided to start this program um, because we get so many adoption applications from either young folks or maybe somebody that's an adult that they haven't ridden in years. And you know, a lot of our current adoptables are maybe like four or five-year-old horses that are fresh off the track. Mm-hmm. And these folks that put in their application are like, well, I'm not, I don't quite have the confidence to handle a horse that's that young yet. Mm-hmm. So we definitely think this is going to um, make, make us have a wider variety of horses available for potential adopters for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. A high quality horse, good breeding. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that retired racehorses add equality and equity into the sport. Um, they're a horse that anyone can afford. They just have to put a little elbow grease and a lot of love into it. So thank you guys for everything you're doing over at Friends. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for featuring us. We really appreciate Retired Racehorse Radio taking the time to talk to us. Um, and we love everything that you do to help promote this awesome breed. Uh, thank you guys so much. Casual Company helps you enjoy the ride with their full line of trail bags and tush cushions. From cantle bags to horn bags and everything in between, comfort and convenience on the trail is what Cashel does best. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashel Company on Facebook and Instagram and find their products. Visit any authorized dealer or visit cashelcompany.com. Jamie, I don't know about you, but something I really missed last year was our RRP Spotlight Riders. And we have our first one on today. We have Whitney Roach with us, who's an adult amateur trainer. And I think this is her first time ever going to the Thoroughbred Makeover. Welcome to the show, Whitney. Thank you. It is my first time on um, doing the makeover. That's definitely an exciting thing. Um, Jamie actually competed in 2019, and we followed a couple different riders in 2019 before, you know, the nightmare that was. Yeah. So <laughs> where in the world are you located? Tell us. We'll start there today. I, um, I live in Northbridge, Massachusetts, so it's about 20 hours away from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, shipping's going to be fun, <laughs> but I can I'm imagine. very excited to get this show at the Kentucky Horse Park. It's going to be an exciting time. And so with shipping, have you had a chance to bring your horse in pretty early on? Like, did you have access to an indoor to get him started? So I had access to an indoor and I actually sent my horse down to Aiken, South Carolina with Jessica Holiday for training. Um, for okay. six weeks. So he literally came back, I think, last week. Interesting. So 
I, I know it's something that isn't really talked about too often is bringing a trainer in to assist you um, with getting started with your horse. What made you decide to do that with your horse? So I was actually working with Jess before um, I got um, my RRP horse. I had, um, I think he was 18 years old. I had my old horse for 10 years and he passed away in December. And after that, she kind of helped me to get back on a horse and do lessons regularly until I got another horse. So I kept on going with her. I've known her for about three years now, and she's amazing in anything she does. She like tries to help you so much too. Mm-hmm. Now, did she help you find your horse for the makeover? Yes. So we had a one day I had a lesson and we were talking. And I'm like, I'm not getting something unless I get on it first. The next day we decided to do a vetting on my, the horse that I ended up getting from Sarah Davis to be like, actually saw him on Facebook and was like, okay, let's do a vetting. And if he passes, he can come home. And I'm like, all right, well, that's so much for trying the horse before we get it, but it worked out (laughs) pretty well. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to trust your gut. You know, it's a good time. I mean, not saying we advocate just buy the horse sight unseen, but whatever, buy the horse. Jamie and I have done that. (laughs) We both have done it. And then tell us a little bit about the horse you chose. (laughs) Um, Mr. Hunt Silver, he is from West Virginia originally. Um, I'm in touch with his breeder probably like once a month. He's not great with texting. He's older. Um, But he, the horse himself, he's very smart. He's around 16 hands. And I honestly think he's still growing because he is a little butt high. He's five years old. Right now, we're just working on getting him to like stay in the contact and go over little courses at the trot. And he's been very like he takes everything in stride. Like I can hack out alone and go on trail rides alone or in a group. He's just very smart and doesn't like he's not overreactive, which was a very yeah. good selling point. What with we define me as a unicorn, a unicorn thoroughbred that's not overreactive yeah. <laughs> coming off the track. I love that. And what a great name, Mr. Hunt Silver. He just sounds so like, I don't I think of Mr. Darcy um, from Pride <laughs> and Pre- Prejudice. Like he just sounds so dapper, so fun. Um, so I could see why you could really enjoy a horse like that. Now having a trainer work with him, I'm guessing she did um, 30 to 60 days with him to get him started. Do you mm-hmm. feel any pressure that maybe you should have done it all on your own? Because I think when we see the makeover on social media, you see all these people who are marketing, oh, my horse did this day, or we, we have this new accomplishment. Do you ever feel any pressure that you made the right decision? So I feel like I made the right decision just because like up here, it was the middle of winter when he got here, it was freezing. Of course, I didn't really want to do anything and neither did he <laughs> when it was like 15 degrees out. I'm like, I can't do anything. Like, okay, we can work at the mounting block, but like, I can't like he would, when I first got him not take off of the mounting block, but you would get on and you're trotting right away. So like mm-hmm. he went down there and she would be like, all right, we're working on that. And then we're going to go out on a hack by ourselves and you're going to behave. And like, we'll walk through the water jump, which was great for him. So I don't feel any pressure that I messed up with that. And I still like something she does better with her on and then I have to work on it. So coming back and having her be like, I know he can do this. It's you. Um, is sometimes a better thing than just being like, all right, like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I don't know if he's doing it wrong, but like, it's better when he knows what he's doing. And I kind of like, if I mess up, she knows that it's my fault. Yeah. Um, I love that answer. Honestly, 
I think it's a great and a to humble lesson that all of us are guilty of that we have to remind ourselves that sometimes it's it is us and by sometimes I mean most of the time it's us as a writer yeah. <laughs> um but I think it's so amazing that you hired a trainer. I think it's something that, I mean, we advocated on our show um, for most people adopting their first resource to work with a professional or work with someone who has experience in it. And I love that that's the story you're taking over to the makeover with you. Um, so what are you hoping to achieve and compete in at the makeover this year? What made you decide to no, uh, sign up for the Retired Resource I, Project? I want to compete and um, do eventing, but... I had a very not like not my favorite cross country school I've ever had. So after that, I've been like, all right, if I have to do dressage and show jumping and not do cross country, that's an option too. But right now I'm kind of gearing more towards eventing. Um, I grew up in the hunter jumper world and not saying I never want to go back there. I'm (laughs) very much done with doing hunters. I've done it for 15 I think 15 years and it was not like towards the end. I'm like, okay, like my thoroughbreds in the hunter, like, yes, uh, something that's geared toward just thoroughbreds, I might do fine. But when I was doing it, like at the rated level, I'm like, okay, I can't like, I keep putting myself through this and I'm not getting anywhere. Um, <laughs> so that was my whole thing with switching over to eventing was this is more for these horses and they seem to enjoy it more. But my goal at the makeover is just to go there and have fun and have a nice round and whatever I do and try to make the best of it. I think just getting them to the horse park is one like step in itself is getting there and being able to walk around and do a dressage test or just pack around is one thing. And then competing and placing is totally another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Sounds like you're on the right path. I think you're already on the path of having a lot of fun with Mr. Hunt Silver. And I love that you're putting him first. Like, I'm so excited to watch your story and your progress. Where can people follow you as you prepare for the makeover? So I do have a Facebook page for him. Um, It's going to be under Mr. Hunt Silver, uh, Road to RRP 2021. So you can follow me there. I try to post weekly. I mean, the last couple of weeks have been a little off because he was coming home when I gave him like the rest of the week off when he got home. Um, he had like a 19 hour trailer ride. So oh, I didn't feel that's like intense. I need a week much. off too. <laughs> yeah. I gave him, I think it was like four days off and then I decided to start him on the lunch line again, just getting used to our rings and took him on a trail ride the next day. But well, Wonderful. Well, we're excited to follow your journey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Whitney and best of luck. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's that time in Retired Racehorse Radio episode where we get to talk to Leander Cooper from New Vocations. And because we have such a packed show tonight and she's running around like crazy, we are going to skip the training tip and get directly to the horse. And his name is fantastic. Analyze your risk. That's a terrible idea. Don't analyze your risk. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even think, just act. Um, you know, this is a really interesting horse and I was excited to talk about him because we get a lot of requests from people who want a horse who is a young prospect that they can work with, but is also, you know, what we call amateur friendly. And it's hard when we have our, you know, our niche are horses who are right from the track or right from layup and they are 
kind of fresh and all of them are green and young and it it can be difficult when somebody wants this more steady eddy type of horse but every now and again we get horses like this uh, like analyze who are really quiet who are really level-headed who are cuddle bugs who take care of you on their saddle and who are genuinely nice prospects so I'm really excited with this guy to see what he's going to do because he has these floaty movements. He has this really great head on his shoulders. This really great personality. So he's kind of the whole package. And it looks like he's got great feet. I love a shorter back horse with this long shoulder and you can't mm-hmm. beat a solid dark bay. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's amazing. So he is absolutely beautiful. And, um, he, I love this sire too. overanalyze. And then they get, they get great names too, from overanalyze, which is analyze your yeah. risk. And, and you guys, what do you call them? Just analyze. Yeah. And he is very lightly raced. Um, and he has a pretty good earnings, amount as well. Like he had just only started five times, but his last race was in 2019. What's he been doing? Well, he had a layup period. And when he came to us, we knew that he had had this history of some cellulitis in his right front. And he still was a little bit inflamed when he got to us. So mm-hmm. we had our vet check it out. And when we ultrasound his leg, there was a foreign body in there. So we thought, hmm, well, that's kind of funky and, you know, checked it out more. And he was a good surgical candidate. So they went in there um, because obviously whatever was in there had been irritating him for a while. And there was a wood chip in the dispensary, which was really bizarre. And don't worry, anybody who adopts him, I saved that wood chip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, are you serious? (laughs) I sure do. It's in a nice little surgical pouch. Uh, but oh they took God. the wood chip out and, you know, at any suspensory injury, it takes a while for them to recover. And he's been re-ultrasounded. He's done really, really well, you know, since the wood chip's been taken out. But it's just, we have no idea how it got in there. But it's not in there anymore. And he's doing really well. But that that's kind of what he was going through is, Um, you know, this period of time when he wasn't doing well and had cellulitis and kind of had this inflammation, he came to us and we found it, took it out. He's ready to go. That is a lesson, man. Listen to your horse. And so how many people I know that have horses that their leg blows up and, oh my gosh, now I'm going to tell everybody to ultrasound the suspensory and look for a wood chip. Yes. Yeah. Or other foreign objects. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And now it's out and he's all happy and and looks great. And his legs look great. His feet look great. Check him out. You can go to newvocations.org. I also believe you can go to horseadoptions.com or drug.org. And one of those, anyway, Google new vocations, you'll find, um, analyze the risk. And he is an adorable, an adorable, uh, 2017 gelding. Yeah. Go check it out. All right, Leandra, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks. You guys too. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Retired Racehorse Radio, or we're on Twitter at Horse Radio. Well, not us. Somebody is. Uh, And then I have a Facebook (laughs) page, Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor. That is actually me. And uh, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. You can find Joy too. 
Yes, you can email me at joy at horseradionetwork.com or find me on Instagram at the foodie equestrian. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys. Thank you.